Hi, I'm Caitlin. Hi, I'm Rebecca. We're not from Memphis, but we love it. Welcome to Memphis Type History, the podcast. Hello, Caitlin. Hello, Rebecca. Now nobody knows what time it is. Right. All right. So I gave you some choices on what stories you wanted to hear today. Yes. And And the pick is? Memphis Mafia. Ooh. Do you have any idea what this is? The Mafia? I'm very familiar with the Mafia. Well, the Memphis Mafia. I am not familiar with the Memphis Mafia. Wow. You're going to just die when I tell you all about it. Oh, I hope not. And you're going to be <laughs> wondering, how did I know about this? <laughs> That's true. So the Memphis Mafia was the nickname, earned around 1960, for the real-life entourage of Elvis Presley. Oh. That's why I'm so surprised. <laughs> I can't believe it. So, wait, are you just messing around for the sake of the audience? Do you No, really- I really didn't know he was part of the Mafia. Well, the Memphis Mafia. The question of whether he was involved with the real Mafia remains unanswered. Okay. Oh, is the Memphis Mafia like a toned-down version of the act, an actual Mafia? Of what we would know as the Mafia? No, it's just the nickname. Okay. I'll tell you how they got it. Okay. It's sort of related to the Mafia, but vaguely. Okay. They're not like cutting fingers off and leaving messages? And, no. Okay. No, no, Okay, no. well, this not, makes more not sense. Not that I could find. Okay. So from 1954 to 1977, Elvis's crew was made up of a group of friends, family, and some employees, like bodyguards and like logistics guys. So planning out his travel and like concert details or whatever. Uh-huh. They typically cruised around the city pretty much like they owned it. Uh, and they would wear any city they were in. Okay. <laughs> they just like cruised around in these like nice cars. They'd wore these black mohair suits and sunglasses. And one time they pulled up like this um, to the Riviera Hotel in Las Vegas, dressed like that and in two black limousines. And someone in the crowd started asking like, oh, is it the mafia? It looks like the mafia. <laughs> and a reporter heard that and like put it in his story. And... Elvis really liked it, so there you have it, the Memphis Mafia. Oh, thanks to Las Vegas. Yeah, (laughs) and the real Mafia, kind of. And the real Mafia. (laughs) All because they were in two black limousines? Yeah, and like black suits and sunglasses. Oh, yes. That's definitely the signal that you're in the Mafia. Yeah, it's like (laughs) a walking Halloween costume. (laughs) Okay, so... There's another uh, logo and phrase really associated with Elvis's entourage, and that's TCB, taking care of business. Yes. So there are several stories about the origins of this symbol, and I'm going to tell you some of them. We don't know what's true. Okay. One is that Elvis and Priscilla were in an airplane during a storm, and they saw a bolt of lightning in the sky. So Priscilla designed a TCB logo based on the lightning bolt, and ske- she sketched like several iterations of it on the plane until Elvis saw the one that he liked. Okay. Another story is that Elvis got it from the real West Coast Mafia. Apparently, that's a symbol that they would use, or a term mm-hmm. they would use. And then another is that he took it from Marvel Comics. So he like saw the symbol in Marvel Comics and put it to the phrase that they would kind of use, like, oh, taking care of business, TCB. You know, they bring this up at the Graceland tour, and none of those ring a bell, so I can't remember what was said there. Well, another story is that the lightning bolt just symbolizes in a flash, and that's it. 
They just like picked thing something that symboled in a flash, like taking care of business in a flash. Yeah. So those there are a lot to pick from. <laughs> those are yeah. those are a lot of possible I'm, I'm stories. But I want to say Graceland or like the tours does say one, but I can't remember what it is. Because I found like what looked to be like a definitive answer on what it was uh-huh. in an article. Yeah. But then I saw several interviews with Memphis Mafia members and they would tell a different story. So I figured, well, hmm. it seems like no one really knows. It is a mystery. Because they were there. I think that's how the Mafia would want it to be. I guess so. <laughs> So that symbol, as most of us pretty much know, was painted on his private jet and given out to people in the form of diamonds and gold chains. And then he had his own famous versions of the TCB jewelry that he would wear. Oh, and I did see that, like, it was supposed to mean taking care of business, but sometimes uh, members of the Memphis Entourage would change it up a bit. Yeah. And say that it stood for taking care of broads. Oh, goodness, no. Or taking care of booze. (laughs) Oh, the mafia. Those silly guys. So what was it like to be in the Memphis Mafia taking care of business? I wouldn't know. Well, I'll tell you. Thank you. Please. (laughs) (laughs) So some of them were kind of like employees. So like I said, they were friends, family, and then some employees. And they were paid a salary, but most were not really paid at all. And at most, they were paid like maybe $500 a week or something like that. So even if they were paid members of the entourage, they weren't paid very much. Yeah. Uh, They were friends, uh, sometimes fixers. They would get drugs for Elvis. They would take the fall for illegal prescriptions that they got caught with. They would take the fall for him. Mm. Some benefited off the fringe benefits, like receiving cars or monetary bonuses whenever Elvis saw fit. Yeah. And even with all those things, like taking the fall for him or whatever, like most, and like I I saw several stories, like there were a lot of arguments and like sometimes a lot of tension in the group. um, And that Elvis could be very difficult uh, sometimes, especially like the more and more addicted to drugs he was, it seems like Mm -hmm. he was more and more volatile. But people still felt like he was very generous, as we know. They still stayed his friend and like stayed in the group, you know, even though. There is tension, and yeah. they don't really have anything bad to say about him either. Is you know just reading the interviews and stuff is interesting. Yeah, I can see that he spent pretty much all his time with them because as soon as he started getting famous, he really just couldn't make friends in the usual way. Right. So he was always with these people. Apparently, though, his father uh, Vernon really always disliked them. And in 1972, that dislike really did escalate. Um, I'll tell the story about it. But um, Elvis had started having financial problems. And we'll find out later, like, some of those issues came up and, like, Vernon got involved with the entourage. Oh, my. But Billy Smith told a story that shows how close the singer was to the Memphis Mafia members. And so I thought I would read that. Many times at Graceland, when we would spend the night there in Lisa's room, or tour in the hotel and at the trailer on the property at Graceland, we were all three there talking for hours about everything in the world. Sometimes he would have a bad dream and come looking for us, to, for me to talk to, and he would actually fall asleep in our Billy and his wife Joe's bed with us. That happened a lot of times, and we thought nothing of it. Is this like post Elvis' stuff? Uh, no, that's like a story. So Billy Smith was, I'm going to talk about him. I think he was a cousin. Okay. And he actually lived on the, I'm going to talk about some of the individual members, but he actually lived at Graceland, like behind Graceland. 
Oh, okay. And they were just so close that Elvis would just go and get in bed with them and talk. Like, (laughs) (laughs) interesting. Yeah. Another thing that would happen a lot is Elvis's thrill-seeking ways would come out. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, so I did not know this, but he seemed like maybe a little bit of an adrenaline junkie. It seems like just from the stories I'm going to tell you. Okay. And the fact that I know he kept guns around and like really liked to shoot guns and stuff like that. Okay. So they would play this game called War at the Rainbow Roller Dome in Memphis. What was Is that our skating rink? Uh, yeah, it's a skating rink. I don't know where or which one, okay. though, but one of them. You know, there used to be so many. Yeah. <laughs> so the guys would divide up into two teams, and the goal was to knock over as many of the other team members as possible, <laughs> whatever it took. Okay. Yeah, so these are like full-grown men, so yeah, a lot of injuries. Another game that really, to me, sounds terrible was called Whip, and they would all put on Air Force protective gear and jumpsuits, divide into two teams, and then hurl thousands of dollars of fireworks at each other. Oh, like that was it, man. And some people did get injured. Like, there's a giant scar on Elvis's neck, and that's from playing Whip. Because the fire, they're playing with fireworks. Yeah, they're like shooting them and throwing them at each other. And another friend almost lost an eye. Yeah, I could see how that could be dangerous. It sounds terrible. And he, Elvis, just made these games up. Like these were two that I found, but I know there were other a lot of like other thrill seat, like driving cars really fast, shooting guns, yeah. having loaded weapons around, stuff like that. Yeah, uh, and this is in his adult life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, They also partied hard. And like I said, I'm going to talk more about individual members in a minute. But here's a quote from uh, Joe Esposito, who we'll talk about. And he's kind of explaining the lifestyle of the entourage. Mm -hmm. He says, it was like a party you wouldn't believe. Go to a different show every night, then pick up a bunch of women afterwards. Go party the next night. Go to the lounges. See Fats Domino, Della Reese, Jackie Wilson, the Four Aces, the Dominoes, all the old acts. We'd stay there and never sleep. We were all taking pills just so we could keep up with each other. Uh. Yeah. In uh, an interview with the website Elvis Presley News, which I found, there were like a lot of interviews on there. I assume they're legit. Okay. Uh, so Lamar Fike, this is how he described the mafia lifestyle. At times, very difficult, but most of the time, he was a lot of fun. He's Elvis. Mm -hmm. You know, you're around somebody like him 24 hours a day, and you have to watch what you're doing because you become a little too familiar, and you say things you shouldn't, and sometimes you get in arguments. And it was a constant amount of pressure. It just never, it never really stopped. It kept you on your toes. Hmm. So I want to take a quick tour and get a profile of the various uh, Memphis Mafia members. Why, Yes. Because I am curious how many there are. There were several, I mean, uh, because they kind of came in and out over time. Okay. Uh, I, I'm not going to talk about all of them, just the ones that have something to mention. Okay. So the original group began with Junior and Gene Smith, Gladys Presley's nieces, and so that makes them Elvis's first cousins. Okay. So Junior and Gene. And the rockabilly singer Cliff Gleaves. His name is very hard to say for me. Cliff Gleaves. Yeah. Uh, those two L's. <laughs> I've been like gearing up to say it. Uh, there was also Elvis's high school friend, Robert Jean Red West. And this is Red describing how they became friends because I thought it was interesting. Elvis was always different. We had crew cuts and wore T-shirts and blue jeans. Elvis had the long ducktail, the long sideburns, and he wore the loud clothes and naturally was a target for all the bullies. 
One day, luckily, I walked into the boys' bathroom at Humes High School, and three guys were going to cut his hair just, you know, to make themselves look big or make them feel big or whatever. And I intervened and stopped it. So they became friends. That's nice. So in addition to being a driver and a bodyguard for Elvis, Red was also an actor, stuntman, and songwriter. For Elvis or in general? No, in general, like the rest of his career. Oh, very nice. (laughs) He had a hand in writing several songs with Elvis and for Elvis. Okay. And he wrote songs for other people too. Elvis's father, Vernon, you know, I said there was some tension at some point. At one point, he fired Red from the mafia. This was in 1976. Vernon was able to do that? Like he had the authority to fire people from the mafia? I don't... I don't know if he always did, uh-huh. but like this was 76, so Elvis is taking a lot of drugs. His finances are not really in order anymore. Yeah. He lost a, a lot of money, you know, or his divorce was very expensive. So, from what I don't really know a lot about Elvis, to be honest. I'm not like a big Elvis history buff, but it seems like his father is always sort of like a looming figure. And then in researching the mafia, it seems like he just. Got a, like needed to have a little more control over some situations, or I don't know if need it felt like he needed. I don't know. Was he in that mafia, like part of it? No, no, no. Oh, okay, I didn't think so. These were all that like younger weird. guys, like Elvis's age, more or less. Yeah. Yes, that would have been weird. But he did fire Red uh, because Red was involved in like a fan-related bodyguarding incident that injured a fan in Vegas, and oh. the media picked up and it. It was making Elvis look bad, and there were several lawsuits because of how the bodyguards were doing things. And then he was also getting more and more outspoken about Elvis's drug addiction, mm. and so he got fired. Then uh, Sonny West and David Hebler also—well, Sonny West got fired at the same time. I can't remember if David Hebler did or not, too. But the three of them ended up writing a tell-all, which turned into a bestseller called Elvis, What Happened? Oh. Yeah, and it was published two weeks before he died. Really? Yeah, and it really detailed a lot of the addictions. And, like, I don't think I go into it in this, but I do remember I read, like, their intention apparently, like, some people obviously think they just did it for the money. Yeah. Then some people think, and what they say is that they were just trying to get someone to pay attention. To his addiction? Yeah. Okay. And try to get him help or whatever. Yeah, but a book's a long process. <laughs> That's not going to be I mean, the... I think they wrote it pretty quickly. Because <laughs> they were fired in 76, and the book came out two, two weeks before Elvis died. There was one woman in the original crew named Judy Spreckles. Sparkles? Spreckles. Oh, Spreckles. Isn't her name awesome? Judy Spreckles. Judy Spreckles. Yeah, I like that. So she was an heiress, so wealthy, and she always said she was like Elvis's sister at, because, as she said, girls come and go, but sisters stay forever. Oh, okay. They're good friends then. They met randomly in a hotel lobby when Elvis was still really a brand new star, and he went up to her and just started chatting with her, and they just started hanging out all the time. Okay. So she remembers hanging out at Graceland, staying up all night, listening to Elvis sing. There's a picture of them riding horses with him. And an early memory she had was riding bumper cars with the original, like, smaller entourage crew in Vegas. Oh, okay. Elvis reportedly liked her baby blue Cadillac so much that he bought the same model in pink for his mom. Really? Yeah. Well, I knew he bought his mom the pink Cadillac. I didn't realize there was a connection there. Yeah, because of Judy Spreckles. 
Judy Spreckles. I just want to say her name so much. And if you look in the show notes at memphistypehistory.com slash mafia, I'll put a picture of her. And like her name is just so cute and it like matches her. She's Aww. like just cute, like sweet looking and, and just like in the interviews and stuff, she just seemed like a really good friend and a really nice person. I don't know. Just It just seemed like, oh, Judy Spreckles. <laughs> I don't know. I just I just liked her name and like she just looked really cute. What is she doing in the mafia? That sweet thing. Yeah. So there's one more story on the topic of her car that I really liked. So uh, okay. I put it in. So it's a direct quote from her from an interview. One day we drove my car out into the desert and his cousin came with us. Him is Elvis. Right. Elvis drove that car as fast as it could go. And I was in the front seat whooping and screaming and laughing. His cousin was on the floor in the back. He was so scared. But I've been a stunt player in the movies, and Elvis couldn't go fast enough to scare me. Oh, she was a stunt woman? Yeah, but they never go back to that. Like, I'm like, (laughs) hold up. I don't care about Elvis driving your car. Like, (laughs) stunt work? Please tell me more. Right. (laughs) There's like nothing. What does she do? There's no history on Judy Spreckles. Uh, I mean, she's like an heiress. She's like a horsewoman and apparently does stunt work. I don't know. She like should be the whole episode if there was like more. Anyway, I just found her so interesting. I really liked Judy Sparkles. <laughs> so throughout her life, she would be there for most of Elvis's important moments, like his mother's funeral, his first concert in Vegas, all that stuff. I found a quote from Elvis's 1974 Las Vegas Hilton show where he says Judy gave him a four black star sapphire ring that Priscilla wore as her engagement ring years later. Wow. And Judy wore one from Elvis with EP on it. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. They both denied romantic involvement because there's always speculation. But they've always both denied it. Yeah. So they insist she's more like a sister. Yeah. I'm going to say so for that relationship to last that way. It probably is. Was. I did find another name. Of another woman that was called the only woman in the mafia. (laughs) (laughs) Move over, Spreckles. Yeah. And maybe it's because, like, Spreckles was, like, in the first iteration of the mafia when it was really just, like, friends. Mm -hmm. And then she kind of went on with her own life. Like, she didn't, like, move into Graceland and, like, all this stuff that other people did. Yeah. So it could be like maybe she's not considered officially mafia. I don't know. But she was an original member of like the entourage. So Patty Perry is apparently the only woman in the mafia. <laughs> okay. Also described as a sister to Elvis. Okay. They met in Santa Monica when she noticed Elvis's Rolls Royce driving by, but she decided to play it cool. Of course. Yeah. So she said, quote, Elvis wound down his window, and I said, you look kind of familiar. He laughed and invited me to his house. We bonded. He liked my sense of humor and the fact that I didn't revere anyone. He just sort of adopted me and never left. He didn't have a sister or mother, so I took on those roles. Oh, sister and mother. Yeah. Uh, She was one of Elvis's and Priscilla's main hairdressers. Yes. Met the Beatles at Graceland and stayed alongside him until his death. Yeah. That's cool. How do you feel about Patty Perry? It makes me think of that song, you're close to me, you're like my brother. I mean, close to me, you're like my mother. Close to (laughs) me, you're like my sister. Yeah. What is that? Is that Savage Garden? No. Right? Oh, no, it's not. Oh, yeah. I I pray pray for for someone someone like you. you. 
Casey and JoJo. Casey and JoJo. She reminds yeah. me of Casey and JoJo. Close to me, I like my mother. Close to me, I like my mother. Yeah. Uh-huh. She's all that. Yeah. Brother, mother, father. How long does she stay in the mafia? Till his death. Okay. Yeah. So here are the rest of them. There was Delbert B. Sunny West, who was Red's cousin. Red's the high school friend. Okay. Yeah. He So he went by Sunny. Sunny. And his entourage name, so they most of them all had nicknames. Okay. I'll tell you them. His was the Great Explainer. You know, his name is odd enough that I thought that was going to be his mafia name, but it's not. No, no, no. They all have nicknames. Okay, so it's not Sonny. No, no, no. That's just what he goes by. It's his name, basically. Okay. The Great Explainer is his nickname. The Great Explainer. So after meeting Elvis at a skating rink in 1958, he got to be in charge of Elvis's cars and also served as a bodyguard. Okay. Which is what later got him fired was the bodyguarding stuff mm. and everything else. He was fired along with Red. That's right. When Sonny got married in 1970, Elvis was the best man and Priscilla was the matron of honor. Oh. So here's a quote about Sonny by Mafia member Lamar Fike. Sonny was the type of guy who would talk forever on different subjects. We used to call him the great explainer. He could explain water. He'd tell you a story, and if it took five minutes, he'd stretch it out to an hour. Uh. He was a dreamer. <laughs> <laughs> like He could explain water. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. Elvis's cousin, Billy Smith, was the only entourage member to, who was there from beginning to end, like very beginning to very end. Uh, Elvis and Billy grew up together and were very close their whole lives. So they're like baby friends. Hmm. <laughs> Billy even lived behind Graceland with his family. And Billy's wife said that Elvis wanted Billy to be out of the trailer the minute he woke. He'd call and say, is Marble Eyes up? That's his nickname, Marble Eyes. <laughs> okay. The nicknames aren't very good. Yeah. They're not very ma- mafia-esque. Yeah. M- Billy's the one I read the quote about, like, Elvis getting in bed with them from after a bad dream or whatever. Yeah. So they were super close. All right. So here's how he got the nickname Marble Eyes. Elvis made it up because apparently Billy had really big eyes. That's it? That's it. Okay. <laughs> Good one, Elvis. <laughs> Billy and his wife went on vacations with Elvis and were with him on the 15th before he died, having played racquetball together and listened to Elvis sing his last song, Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain. Hmm. Billy served as Elvis's valet while at Graceland, and in the 70s, he was in charge of his costumes when they were on the road. Oh, cool. Yeah, fancy job. Uh, Billy was an early tour guide at Graceland when it opened in 1982. Oh. So he helped a lot with setting Graceland up. That's cool. Charlie Hodge was a singer who was also an entourage member. His music career began singing with Bill Gaither, and being 5'3", he would stand on an empty coat crate as a gag when singing tenor with the group. <laughs> <laughs> he met Elvis in 1955 when the singer came on backstage to praise the Foggy River Boys, which was a really famous quartet at the time. Uh, they became friends in 1958 while stationed together at Fort Hood in the Mafia. Charlie's role was to take care of all the many details as stage manager. So he would hand Elvis the scarves and lay out a set list. He was also the gatekeeper for new songs, so he was in charge of presenting new songs to Elvis that he might want to record. So you had to get 
his approval, basically. Like, he had to like the song and think Elvis would like it. Okay. You couldn't send your songs, like, straight to Elvis. Yeah. There are a couple other guys, too, that Red West was also involved in, like, picking songs. And I saw that they were nicknamed the Imperial Council by music companies who were trying to get songs in front of Elvis. (laughs) But I went through them first. That makes sense. But it's interesting that it goes to, like, a group of friends as opposed to an agent or, like, a a record label. You know? Yeah, it's like Elvis really, he really just trusted these guys. Uh-huh. And he got so famous at a young age. Yeah. I guess, like, you know, he doesn't really have, he didn't have time in life to meet a lot of other people. Yeah. Hm. So Charlie Hodge was also the guy who chose the band for the live shows. So he was really like kind of the music guy. He was also the only man to record a duet with Elvis. Really? Yeah, and that's the 1960 song, I Will Be Home Again. I never thought about that. Hodge lived at Graceland and had his own rooms in Elvis's other homes as well. And he stayed at Graceland for a year after Elvis's death, helping Vernon settle the estate. Hmm. So he was really there till the end. Yeah. Too. I mean, once he, once he met him in 1958. Yeah. Uh, Lamar Fike, who I've quoted already before, mm-hmm. joined Elvis's entourage around 1957, and he went to Germany with him on his deployment. Oh, yeah. He had a lot of Memphis Mafia nicknames, uh, as it seemed like Elvis never settled on just one for him. <laughs> okay. Uh, there was Mr. Bull, Lardass, The Wrestler, Buddha, <laughs> and The Great Speckled Bird. I'm guessing this guy was a little bit hefty. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he was a little bit hefty, but also like old marble eyes. Elvis also thought Fike had big eyes like an owl because he sometimes called him Birdie. That's where Birdie came from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's not a clear account of how these guys met. Uh, Fike says he just hung out in front of Elvis's Audubon Drive house until Elvis noticed him. But other people say they probably met at Sun Studios where Fike was learning how to be a DJ. Hmm. Apparently something you used to have to learn. Yeah. Like from someone. <laughs> but I think they mean DJ like radio DJ, not like today if you're like, I'm a DJ. Yeah, I was about to say like, if he's in a record studio. Yeah, seems... he's like being a radio DJ. Right. So as you guessed, his substantial girth earned him a larger-than-life reputation and made possible the very humorous piggyback rides that he would give Elvis on stage. Oh, look at that. Yeah, I'll put a picture at show notes, which is memphishypistry.com slash mafia. Fike also played a big part in Elvis's love life. Okay. So he introduced Elvis to Anita Wood, who the king would date for five years, and most people thought would he would marry her. Oh. Yeah. But I read that Elvis's manager wanted him to be single. Yeah. Because I guess it was more marketable. Naturally. So he kind of maneuvered her out of Elvis's life. Hmm. Uh, another quote, though, from Fike attributed the cool-off in their romance to, quote, the Atlantic Ocean, referencing the fact that Elvis went off to the military. Oh, right. So it was just like long distance. Yeah. You know. Well, it could be. When he went off to Germany, that's how he met Priscilla. Yeah, and Fike mm-hmm. Fike also introduced Elvis to Priscilla when she was 14. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, he introduced so him to It could have been that she inter- intervened. I don't yeah, I don't know exactly like all the timing. Mm-hmm. But it seemed like like Fike just says the long distance killed the relationship, other people say the manager killed the relationship, but regardless, Fike then introduced him to Priscilla. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not big into as I've already said like Elvis 
history or information. Mm-hmm. I don't really know that much, uh, but I did recognize, recognize the name Joe Esposito. Okay. How do we know that? Uh, so he's up next in our Memphis Mafia profiles. So these two met on an army base in West Germany in 1958. And two years later, Esposito became Elvis's road manager and like right-hand man. Okay. He was also co-best man at Elvis's wedding, and his wife was matron of honor. Hmm. Uh, something interesting I found that shows what a detailed guy Esposito was is that he'd have buckets of ice water offstage for Elvis to put his arms in after fans scratched them up, grabbing for the scarves that he would hand out at concerts. <laughs> and so they were so scratched up, he would just dunk them in ice water to yeah. cool them off. Yeah. I would be like, why are you doing it, dude? Like, stop handing out scarves. That's crazy. Yeah, just, like, shoot those things out. Don't hand them off. Yeah. But, yeah, Joe was a detailed guy. He kind of thought of everything. And other fun facts, his nickname was Diamond Joe. I don't 100% know why. It's probably something really basic, like, he likes diamonds. Yeah, probably. I don't even 5% (laughs) know why because I couldn't find it anywhere, (laughs) actually. (laughs) I don't know why. And he was the only non-Southerner in the Mafia. Oh, uh, is he from uh, New York, Boston? Oh, I don't know, actually. Oh, okay. He just wasn't Southern, okay. and everybody else was. It was interesting. And he was the first person to get a TCB logo necklace. Oh, look at that. It's special. In 1977, Joe was downstairs at Graceland when he got the call from Ginger Alden, who's Presley's fiance at his time of death, and he rushed upstairs to find Elvis dead in the bathroom. Mm. Joe was the one who told Priscilla and Elvis's manager, Tom Parker, the sad news. He also planned Elvis's memorial and served as a pallbearer. And then after Elvis's death, he went on to write several books about the singer, and he took part in consulting on documentaries just to, like, keep his friend's legacy. Yeah. He also worked as a road manager uh, for other artists like Michael Jackson, the Bee Gees, Karen Carpenter, and John Denver. Those are some good names. Yeah. He had a big career. Yeah. All right, I just have a few more. I know there's a lot, but they're all, they're like interesting in their own way. I don't know. So I just have a few more. Okay. Marty Lacker was a Humes High School friend of Elvis's and was nicknamed Moon. Can you guess why? Because he mooned people? No, no. Because he... Not that exciting. Oh, because he stayed out late at night? No, that would be even better too. No. Elvis pretty much just looked at <laughs> physical attributes. Oh, is this because he's pale? No, he's uh, got a bald head and a round face. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Yeah. (laughs) Um, He was also co-best man at Elvis's wedding, and he was the bookkeeper and Elvis's personal secretary within the mafia. The best men. Sometimes he was also foreman, which is also like right-hand man. So I guess whenever Joe wasn't around, or maybe Elvis had co-right-hand men. I don't know. Makes sense. Like some of the other members, uh, Lacker brought some pretty famous songs to Elvis. Like In the Ghetto and Suspicious Minds. Oh, that's my favorite. Oh, yeah. So you can thank Marty Lacker. Thank you, Marty Lacker. He played a big part in getting Highway 51 renamed for Elvis, and he was active in the Memphis music scene for many years. Cool. Larry Geller was a hairdresser and spiritual advisor to Elvis. <laughs> I want one of those. I know, right? Two birds with one stone. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> can go to church and come out with a haircut. <laughs> In 1959, he and a famous hairdresser named Jay Sebring, I think S-E-B-R-I-N-G, opened America's first men's hair salon. 
They cut a lot of famous America's, men's hair. America's yeah, first? America's first men's hair salon. Wow. Yeah. Really? I, that's what it said. The what? internet said. <laughs> I bet there are a lot of people that claim that, so. That's funny. They cut a lot of famous men's hair. Okay. And in 1964, Geller left the partnership to join up with Elvis. Hmm. Elvis nicknamed him Guru. Because he's a genius? Well, I guess because he was spiritual. Oh, yeah, there's that. Though one of the few non-physical attribute names. Uh, Marty Lacker, though, called him Swami. And that's the one that actually stuck. <laughs> because he was really into, like, New Age, like, Eastern religions, I guess. So Swami was, like, a more, okay. I don't know, funny nickname. It seems like a lot of people around Elvis weren't really fans of all the, like, occult ideas, New Age stuff that Geller was into. But... Elvis was into it, so there he was in the mafia. Uh, Geller helped design the meditation garden at Graceland. Oh, nice. All right, this is the last one. Jerry Schilling, who is nicknamed Mr. Bodybuilder, Mr. Milk, or Milk? Milk. Mr. Bodybuilder I get. That's a physical one. But I don't understand why the milk ones. But Elvis's pet name for him was Cougar. Oh, that's not, yeah, that's a pet name. Yeah. That's like a... Term it's of literally endearment. an animal. I'm just kidding. It's a what? <laughs> literally an animal. Yes. Cougar. Okay. Yeah, it is almost like kind of a term of endearment. It seems like cougar. Yeah. Of course, now the connotations are different of like that word too. So it's kind of funny because this guy was like built. Like that's why he's called Mr. Bodyguard. But uh-huh. his nickname was like cougar, which now doesn't really mean <laughs> it does a, not good. Right. Really like belt guy. Jerry was Elvis's friend since about 1954, and he joined the Memphis Mafia around 1964. He met Nixon with Elvis in 1970, that weird thing. The famous picture. Yeah, (laughs) so Jerry Schilling was there. Uh, Unlike some of the other Entourage members, Schilling worked to build a career outside of his association with Elvis, whereas most everybody else pretty much just built their lives around being in the mafia. Yeah. Uh, So he was the Beach Boys and Jerry Lee Lewis's manager. Oh, cool. Yeah. He worked with Billy Joel. Wow. And he worked on music-related documentaries later in life. Yeah, he made a good choice. Oh. Yeah, also, he was Lisa Marie's first manager, and he always remained really close to Priscilla as well. All right. Yeah, so that's it. That's the Memphis Mafia. Very nice. Yeah. They don't seem so threatening after all. Yeah, I know, right? Except for Whip and War. <laughs> Those yeah, were pretty threatening. <laughs> yeah, Elvis seems like the most dangerous of the, of the bunch. Yeah, sounds that way. And the explainer for his mouth. So who's your favorite? I know who yours is, obviously. (laughs) Did I give it away? Yes. (laughs) Um, I'm going to go with the last one because he chose not to revolve his life or like like you said, he 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 was more than just the entourage. Yeah, it just seems very responsible. I guess <laughs> you know, I, even though the other ones did, like the guy who made songs for what was it, John William or John Denver, John Denver. and and uh, the other guys, like that's he obviously did good as well. But yeah, last guy, I'm gonna say last guy. Yeah, obviously my favorite Judy Sparkles. Mm-hmm. She she did go on. She. You know, she would, like, come around for important things, but she had her own life. Yeah. So she's she's in there with the – I think, like, it was interesting. Like, for all the – you know, for all the real highs and lows that come with the Elvis story, I think 
What you can see in this, though, is that so many lifelong friends. Yeah. Basically, like lifelong and then the ones who like, yeah, maybe they were friends in your adult, like you met them when you were adult, but they really felt like they've been there your whole life. Like that's really what like I get a sense of the Memphis Mafia being was yeah, this group of people who really did care about him, I think. Oh, yeah. Think so. Now there, I didn't really get into it, but like the tensions amongst each other weren't always like it wasn't always easygoing. Like well, you know, it's a group of people point, around someone famous and rich, so there's always like yeah political stuff going on. But well, and it's like basically family, you know, which that's, yeah, that's going to build tension no matter what because of the kind of closeness that you guys develop, you know. Yeah, or that you have, and you're with each other constantly. Mm-hmm. Like these guys, like they were with each other. All the time. Yeah. So I could see how that, yeah. But yeah. Oh, cool. Memphis Mafia. Now, I don't know if there's a lot of real mafia stuff to do with Memphis, but I know some mafia members had been in Memphis, real ones, right? Or, no, just gangsters. I don't know about real. Yeah, like, like Is Machine Gun Kelly just a gangster or is he mafia? I assumed he was mafia, but. I did too, but now I'm second guessing. And Al Capone, I guess, yeah. Yeah. So they were all in Memphis at some point, but they definitely visited. This is the Memphis Mafia. This one that I told you about yeah. right now. They're this entourage. is the one that mattered. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been listening to Memphis Type History of the Podcast. We like your type. You've been listening to Memphis Type History, the podcast. It would mean so much to us if you head over to iTunes and give us a rating and review. Be sure to subscribe and never miss an episode. Want to be part of Memphis Type History and get behind the scenes content, merch, and more? Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Memphis Type History. That's Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Memphis Type History. Find more Memphis Type History on our blog at memphistypehistory.com, on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest as Memphis Type History, and on Twitter at Memphis Type. So in case you guys don't realize this, Memphis Type History is not just a podcast, and you probably already know that it is a blog, but it's also a book. We wrote a book and published it in 2014, right? We did. And it's called Memphis Type History, Science and Stories from Just Around the Corner, Written by me, Caitlin, and illustrated by Rebecca. And, well, I don't know. That's not a good way to put it. Not illustrated by, but, like, it has your Memphis-type illustrated paintings in it. (laughs) So each of Rebecca's paintings is the jumping-off point for the history in each chapter. And you can buy the book in Memphis. Oh, yeah? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the places in Memphis that you can get our book is More Than Words in Germantown. More than words. Oh, go ahead. More than words. We love you. Oh, I thought you were going to sing the song, More Than Words. Oh, more than words. Yes. Thanks for reminding me of that. Yeah, you're welcome. It's a good song. It is. And I have a fun history fact to tell you about Germantown, where More Than Words is located. Oh, please tell. During World War One, because there was a lot of anti-German sentiment in the U.S., Germantown changed its name. Really? Yeah. It, for a little while, it was briefly known as Neshoba, which is an Indian word that means wolf. Oh, okay. And then it went back to uh, Germantown. Yeah. So if you want to go to Germantown, past alias Neshoba, head over to West Street and visit More Than Words and pick up our book. More Than Words. <laughs>